You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. This story that we are in is incredible. Genesis chapter 24, part two of a story, a bride for a king. And we are looking at this story of romance. Uh, How many of you love a good romantic story, right? Just amazing. I think all of us probably do. Well, this is one of the oldest love stories in literature. Here we're looking at a story that is 4,000 years old. It is one of the oldest love stories in human existence. And it is romantic. It is about Isaac and Rebekah. This wealthy son of promise. This promised son. The heir of the Abrahamic covenant. The heir, a picture of Jesus. Who goes and gets a bride for himself. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, It's a literary masterpiece. And I'm going to, if you weren't here with us last week, I'm going to kind of get us in uh, so you can catch up. Uh, I'd recommend, though, that you go back and listen to last week's talk, which is all our talks are available for free online or on podcast or wherever you get your stuff. Um, But it's a beautiful story, and it's prophetic. It's a love story, not only between a man and a woman, but it's a prophetic love story of God's redeeming love for you. This is a prophetic story about you, a bride for a king. The king is Jesus. The bride is you. Oh my gosh, how incredible. And this is actually prophetic. Uh, In scripture, uh, the Bible often speaks of us as God's people as the bride of Christ. And you, if you're a dude, you're going, what the heck, man? I mean, first time in church, and now you're calling me a bride. I don't think I want any part of this. Hey, I don't blame you. I don't want to be a bride either. But God is using anthropomorphic terms, anthropomorphic expressions to reveal his love for us. And he does it in several ways. He calls us a son. He calls us a daughter. He calls us uh, his beloved he calls us his bride and it doesn't it's not it, it if that bothers you as a guy don't worry about it it's just a anthropomorphic expression to communicate how does god who is a spirit speak and reveal his love to us well he uses human terms and this story is a story about god's redeeming and pursuing love of you and as i mentioned in the bible uh, we're often called the bride of christ It's a metaphor that illustrates the relationship that we have with God through Jesus, uh, this intimate relationship of love that he calls us into. John the Baptist called Jesus the bridegroom. Jesus himself called himself the bridegroom. And he called you the bride. And he told lots of parables using that terminology uh, so that we would understand his amazing redemptive love for us. But it's not just the New Testament that speaks of us this way. As God being the bridegroom and you being the bride. Even in the Old Testament, God spoke the same thing. Here's a verse for you to get us started. Isaiah 62. Uh, take a look at this. Uh, let me hear you read this in a thundering unified voice. I love hearing God's church, uh, the bride, speak loudly the word of God. So let's all speak it together. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isn't that amazing? As a bridegroom rejoices over a bride. Well, how does a bridegroom rejoice over a bride? Well, I can tell you, I've had the privilege of officiating a ton of weddings. Uh, Two for my own children, Uh, two two of my boys and my daughter-in-laws. And I tell you, I have a best seat in the house when I get to officiate a wedding. You see, when you watch a wedding, here's what you see. (laughs) You see the backside of of the bride and groom. I see their faces. 
And I tell you, it is so awesome to be standing next to that groom. And I watch him before the wedding starts. And he's like, where do I stand? Do I stand here? Do I got, I got, do I got the wing? Do I got the... And he's like fidgety and nervous and going like this, you know. And... <laughs> and then she appears. And she turns and she comes down the aisle. And she's beautiful. Clothed in white. A picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was given to us freely clothed in white and the bride comes down and I always look at her face the moment she takes that first step and when she takes that first step guess who, she, who she's looking at there could be hundreds of people there and she looks for the eyes of one and she looks into his eyes and he's got hundreds of people there and he quits fidgeting he quits moving and he looks at her eyes and their eyes lock and about that time, tears start flowing from the groom's eyes. As she walks down the aisle, as they come together. And here, look at this, as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, your God rejoices over you. Wow. Oh, behold what manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us. If you only understood and hear this romantic story, we're going to learn God's trying to show, God's trying to reveal his heart for you. And I hope you uh, discover that today. Uh, here's another passage in Isaiah that reveals this love that God has for us. Uh, Isaiah 61, let me hear you read this, church. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and has covered me with a robe of righteousness. Wow, what's that? Uh, who provides your royal ro uh, clothing of righteousness? Jesus. That's why he went to the cross. He took your sin on his back and he gave his righteousness as your clothing. And he says, I'm going to rejoice in my God. I'm going to be joyful in my God because he clothes me with the garments of salvation. That's the wedding garment, by the way. And he's covered me with a robe of righteousness. That's the wedding garment, by the way. Pure and white and spotless. Look at the rest of the verse. Just as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with jewels. Just like a bridegroom uh, decks himself with ornaments, in the Hebrew, it's more of uh, the, bride, the, the bridegroom's attire, the headdress and everything, and the royal garments. Uh, and as a bride puts on that, that's what Jesus does for us, clothes us. And therefore I rejoice, Isaiah would say, in this redeeming love of God that doesn't, want to harm us, but instead wants to bring us to himself and clothe us in his righteousness, taking all of our filthy garments off and saying, let me clothe you in the bride's clothing, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift. And so it's Jesus's love that is pursuing us. It is, if you're here today and uh, you're not even a believer and you were just brought for the first time and you're like, hey, what is all this bride stuff already? I was like, well, here's what it is. This is God's pursuing love of you. And if you are a believer, if you're a member of the church, you know Jesus is pursuing you. And Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You didn't call me, I called you. You didn't love me, I loved you. And we merely respond to his love he is the initiator. We are the receiver. And, and that is just a, a beautiful picture of this romantic story that is set before us. Us responding to the pursuing love of the bridegroom. And so here as we jump into this story, we're picking up halfway. I want to kind of set the stage for you. This story, not only is it the most incredible love story in all of literature, but it is also prophetic. It's a picture of God in you, Jesus in you, and uh, each of the characters is playing a prophetic part in the picture. Abraham, the father, is a picture of God the father. And Abraham commissions his servant to go and get a bride for his son. 
His servant remains unnamed in this chapter, in this story. Through the entire thing, uh, Abraham had a huge company with thousands of people that were employed. He had his own military, 300 trained servants uh, in his own military. Uh, He had a huge, huge company. And this servant is the CEO or the CFO. He's in charge of everything. You would think his name would be mentioned. It's not. It's prophetic as well. For the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. This servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And he brings all attention to the Son. Wow. And so this father, a picture of God, Abraham, sends his servant, a picture of the Holy Spirit, to go get a bride for his son. The son is a picture of Jesus. And that bride is Rebecca. That's a picture of you, the church. And God sends this servant into a far country, Abraham says, I don't want to pick a bride for my son from this country. Uh, They're all pagans. I I want to get a bride from my country. And he sends them on a 520-mile journey to get this bride. And this bride, a picture of you now uh, coming back. And so here's what we covered last week. Uh, Abraham commissions the servant. That was verses 1 through 9. The servant finds this young girl. She's Rebecca. She's beautiful. And he goes to, he had a hard assignment, the servant did, right? Uh, But Abraham tells him, go get a bride for my son and go to my homeland. And the servant says, I've never been there, right? Like how how in the world am I going to find your family where you came from and I've never been there? And he says, don't worry, God's going to lead you. So he goes on this long journey and he gets there and he sees, comes to this well of water. And he gets there with this well, at this well of water. He's, he's on a camel. He's got 10 camels with him. He's got servants with him. And, and he sees Rebecca coming out at the end of the day to get water. And he sees her and he's beautiful. She's beautiful. He's in awe of her beauty. And he prays and he says, God, if this is the one, as she's walking to the well, have her give me a drink of water. And if she asks, I'll also get water for your camels. Then I will know that she is the one that you have chosen as a bride for the master's son. And so she comes to the water, and she's beautiful. And the servant's just looking at her like, wow. And guess what she asks? Hey, can I get you some water? And can I water your camels? And the servant goes, just blown away, right? Just blown away. Because a camel drinks a lot of water. We looked last week. A camel drinks 30 gallons of water, and he's got 10. That's 300 gallons of water. Uh, And so he's blown away, and he worships God. And that's where we pick up our story right here. Uh, We're in verse 29, chapter 24, verse 29. Chapter 24, verse 29. I want you to follow along with me as I read. Are you there with me? Give me a big amen if you're all there. I love that. Chapter 24. You're all there. I'm not there. Uh, (laughs) Verse 29. So this is right where we are in the story, right? Like he's just seen this woman. She got the water for the camels, watered all the camels. And now uh, her name is Rebecca. Verse 29. Now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. Rebecca comes back and she says, Laban, her brother, Laban, look at this. And she's got jewelry on. Jewelry that he gave her. After she watered his camels, he took out treasures that belonged to the master's son. And he puts gold jewelry all over her. Litters her up with bling. Gold jewelry. Uh, We know the value of this jewelry uh, by the weight of gold that it gives us in the he gives her seven to $8,000 worth of jewelry after she waters these camels. Not a bad day for a young girl, right? And she comes back and she tells her brother Laban, Laban, check this out. There's this guy. I watered his camels. Look what he did. And Laban's like, oh my gosh, right? So that's verse 29, verse 30. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. He comes to the man who's still at the well, still on his camel, just like, 
whoa, ten of you. And uh, uh, his wealth, his power just really spoke. Uh, Verse 31, and he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord, O blessed of Yahweh. Uh, Here we see that Laban understands who Yahweh is. He uses the covenant name. In your Bible, L-O-R-D is all capital. That means it's the covenant name of God and Israel, uh, Yahweh. And he knows this name because Abraham, many years back, had told Laban about the true and living God. And he says, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. In other words, come in and dine with us and and uh, come into my home, Laban says. Verse 32, then the man came to the house and he, that's Laban, unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. He had a group with him riding these camels <clears throat> and being on this journey. And uh, And here we see some amazing hospitality of Laban, right? Now, Laban is motivated. What's Laban motivated by? By the money. We're going to learn about Laban later in the the book of Genesis. And and Laban loves money, man, for sure. Uh, So he's motivated by that. But nonetheless, amazing hospitality. Verse 33. So food was set before him to eat. Uh, That's before Abraham's servant who's there to get a bride. Food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. Interesting. Listen, I didn't come for a meal. I did not come for a family reunion. I did not come to just be social. I came for a purpose. For what purpose? To get a bride. To get a bride. Uh... A picture of the Holy Spirit moving in the world. Very purposeful. I come to get a bride. And he said, speak on. Verse 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. Notice he doesn't even give his name. I am Abraham's servant. A picture of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. Oh, he's incredibly rich. And he's become great. He's incredibly powerful. And no doubt he tells him, we're getting a condensed version, but no doubt he tells him, Oh, he's got thousands of servants. He's a king. He's, a, he's wealthy. Uh, he's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And he just speaks of the power and, and, and position and wealth of the master. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. Wow, this is incredible. He tells him, he says, hey, listen, my master had a covenant with God. And God promised he was going to make him a great nation, the nation Israel. And yet he never had any children. And his wife got too old to have children. She went through menopause. And then he got too old. He became impotent. And at 100 years of age for him, and at 90 years of age for her, God restored both of them. And they conceived a supernatural conception, if you will. Um, a, A picture of who, by the way? A picture of Jesus. Supernatural conception. Different, I mean, not the same, but alluding to, right? Uh, and, uh, and the son, the son is the promised son. And he is going to be the heir of all things, Jesus. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, God in various ways has spoken at various times and times past by the prophets, but he's spoken in these, the last days, to us by his son, who is the heir of all things. And here, that's exactly what the servant says. He says, listen, there was a supernatural birth. It was divinely inspired And she had a son. That son is the son of promise. And he has given him all that he has. He's the heir of all things. Verse 37. Now my master made me swear, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in in whose land I dwell. Uh, Yeah, uh, don't take a wife from the, uh, the inhabitants of the promised land there. But you shall go to my father's house. 
and to my family and take a wife for my son. God didn't want, excuse me, Abraham did not want his son Isaac unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Verse 39, and he said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. Uh, the, the servant says, listen, boss, you're asking a tough thing. That's a long journey. Uh, how am I going to find her? I mean, maybe she won't follow me. Verse 40. But he said to me, the Lord before, before whom I walk, he will send his angel with you and prosper you in the way. And you shall take a wife from my son, from my family, and from my father's house. Uh, Abraham just said, hey, I have full confidence in God. He's led me all these ways. All these years, he's going to lead you right now. I, he'll, he'll be with you. And he encourages the servant, right? Uh, verse 41. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. Hey, it's not your job to make sure the bride comes, your job is just to give the invitation to the bride. If she doesn't come, you're free from the oath. A very interesting picture of the Holy Spirit's role. Verse 42, and this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. And before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with a pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said, please let me drink. And she made haste, and she let her pitcher down from her shoulder, and she said, drink. Uh, she was a servant. She was kind. She was generous. She said, drink. And look at this. And she said, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. We looked at that. That was 300 gallons of water, right? She was virtuous. She was pure. She was uh, uh, selfless. She was generous. She just had these amazing qualities. And here, the servant is retelling the whole story to her brother Laban. Uh, verse 47, then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. Uh, when he heard those words, we think, why does she say that lineage? Well, when he heard those words, what did he, what did he know? This is Abram's family. Oh my gosh, Lord, you led me to the perfect well. You actually led me to the perfect family. Lord, you were leading my step every step of the way. I couldn't believe it, right? So I put a nose ring on her nose and bracelets on her wrist, and I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, who led me in the way of truth to take a daughter from my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I might turn to the right hand or turn to the left. Do you see what he's saying there? Very important verse, verse 49. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, before I have dinner with you, before I come into your house, tell me. Are you going to give her to marry my master's son or not? If you say no, I'm not going to come in. If you say yes, I'm going to come in. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from Yahweh. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Wow, what a powerful story. And here we see some things, we learn some things. This, this servant, who's a picture of the Holy Spirit, he comes on this long 520-mile journey. It would take 40 days at least. And he gets there and he says, listen, no, I will not even come in unless I know first and foremost, will you give her to my master's son?
And I want you to know it is important that we see uh, the solitary goal of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to Jesus. Uh, this is a clear, clear picture, right? Uh, the servant says, listen, I came here for one purpose and one purpose only, to bring her to the master's son. And the typology is beautiful. It's a picture. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And the Holy Spirit does the exact same thing in our life. He says, listen, I have one thing only that I want to do. I want to lead you to Jesus. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and the judgment to come. All three of them are pointing us towards Jesus. And you say, how so? I don't understand. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will convict us of sin, of righteousness, and the judgment to come. Say that with me. Sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. Let me explain. Let's say that you're not a believer. The Holy Spirit comes to you and says, hey, listen, you've sinned against a holy God. You've sinned against a righteous God. You've got a problem. You cannot come to God. You're going to go to hell. You're going to live eternally separated from God. You've sinned against a righteous God. He convicts us of sin. The second thing he convicts us of? Sin and what else? Righteousness. righteousness. There's a way where you can be made right with God. You can't be made right with God any other way. You can't be made right with God by doing good because you can never be good enough. You have to be perfect. You can never be perfect. Plus, you still have that sin in your life. You can never be made right with God. There's only one way to be made righteous. That's through Jesus who died on a cross for you. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and then convicts us of where righteousness comes from. And then he convicts us of the third thing, which is what? The judgment to come. You will spend eternity either with God or separated from him. There's a coming day of judgment. And it is all based on the son, what Jesus did on the cross and what your answer is to him. Wow. The whole solitary goal of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to Jesus. And this is what he is doing in our life. This is what he's doing in your life. And after we accept Jesus in, in, as our savior, he continues to lead, guide, and direct us to Jesus. That's what he wants to do. So that your marriage looks like Jesus. So that your business looks like Jesus. So that everything you do looks like Jesus. Have you ever wondered, what does it mean to be spirit-led? That word is used a lot in the church. Oh, he was spirit-led. You ever heard that before? You ever said that before? Well, yeah, it's thrown around a lot in Christianity. What the heck does it mean to be spirit-led? Well, some think, think it means, it means to be spirit-led, you got to speak in tongues. And there are some churches that say that's the evidence of being spirit-led, that you got to speak in tongues. Uh, bogus theology. Not true. Bible does not teach that anywhere. That is false teaching. Some say to be spirit-led, you got to pray in the spirit. And you hear them pray in the spirit, and it, they do things like, well, sickness, I command you, leave. And they, that wake you up? Yeah. <laughs> and they order God around and they say, Jesus, I command you to cast out. And like, whoa. Can I tell you something? That is not what it means to be spirit-led. I wouldn't talk to my dog that way, much less to God. I wouldn't talk to my neighbor that way, much less to God. And you ought to have some reverence for that God you're speaking to. May I remind you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. And when you talk to us, you better have reverence. You better have reverence. That's not what it means to be spirit-led. Well, if it's not speaking in tongues or some other spiritual experience, if it's not commanding things and Jesus' name, that's not it for sure. Uh, well, maybe it's an emotional experience. Maybe it's the worship team with the lights down low and people's hands in the air and smoke machines and an emotional experience. 
Now, there are times when being spirit-led is an emotional experience, but I want you to know it's not an emotional experience. So then what is being spirit-led? Well, can I tell you? <laughs> that was very pure, by the way. What a pure, what a pure heart. Being spirit-led, Jesus revealed very clearly is having the mind of Christ. It's thinking like Jesus. It's acting like Jesus. It's speaking like Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to do one thing and one thing only. It wants to lead us to Jesus. So it's behaving in a way that is like Jesus. It's knowing him and acting like him. And the Holy Spirit's solitary goal is to bring us to Jesus, that we might <clears throat> know and act and walk in his ways. Jesus said in teaching on the Holy Spirit, uh, he, was <clears throat> he was telling his disciples, he said, I'm, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be murdered. And they were shocked. Why were they shocked? Because they loved being with Jesus. Do you think they ever wanted that to end? Never. They just like, never, right? They said, no, Lord, forbid that. I don't want... Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. And he foretold all of this. But I'm going to raise again on the third day. He says, but I have good news. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. What's an orphan? Nope. I'm not going to leave you parentless. I'm not going to leave. See, they loved it. He, he had spoken so much wisdom into their life. When he taught, they understood God. When he taught, they understood God's love for them. They had wisdom. They had insight. They had discernment like they never had before. And they're like, Jesus, we don't want you to go away. And he says, listen, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, abandoned, alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he will lead, guide, and direct you into all truth. And Jesus spoke and taught them for multiple chapters, John 14, 15, 16, about what the Holy Spirit would do. Here's some of those verses for you. Here's John 15 on your, si on, uh, on your screens. Look what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. Let me hear you read this. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, but when the helper, oh, wait, wait, hang on. Let's stop there. When the who comes? The helper. It just so happens that Jesus called him the helper, the Holy Spirit. And here in this story, this servant, this unnamed servant, his name, well, we learned from chapter 15, chapters back, his name was Eleazar. Eleazar, El in Hebrew is God. Eazer is helper, God our helper. The exact same name. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, what will he do? You read these words. What will he do? He will testify of me, Jesus speaking. In other words, he won't speak of himself. He won't talk about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's going to speak of me. He's going to tell you about me. He's going to remind you all the things I taught you. Jesus says the Holy Spirit, he's going to have one single purpose when he comes. He's going to point you to me so that you might know me and that you might walk with me and you might understand my ways. That is what it means to be spirit-led. Look what else Jesus said in, in John chapter 16. Uh, take a look at this verse. Uh, uh, this is all the same teaching about the Holy Spirit. Read with me. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. I underlined a couple phrases there for you. He will guide you into what? all truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He will guide you into all things that I've taught you. He will not speak on his own authority. He won't tell you about, uh, bring attention to himself and say, I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm the Lord. No, no, no. He's going to speak of me. Uh, whatever he hears he speak, and he's going to speak to you. And let's go on the rest of the verse. He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what will the Holy Spirit do? He will tell you of the greatness and the glory of Jesus. And he will take all of the things of Jesus 
and bring them to your remembrance. Wow. Amazing. He will lead, guide, and direct you into all truth, into the ways of Jesus. And it's exactly what he wants to do in your life. Jesus is showing us clearly what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. Uh, <clears throat> look at what else Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. John 14. This is verse 25 and 26. He says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Why did he tell them that? Because where is he going? He's going away. He's going to the cross, right? I've spoken these things before you ahead of time. Look what he says, verse 26. Read with me out loud, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Wow. When Jesus says, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus is saying, not the name Jesus, but in the character, in the person of who I am, he will, bring, he will be in that exact same character, in that exact same person. That's who he is. And he'll bring to remembrance all my teachings that I've taught you. He'll bring to remembrance. And so this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. The solitary goal of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to Jesus. He has no other desire, no other will. He will always lead us to Jesus. This is what he wants to do. And being spirit-led simply means doing what Jesus would do. Thinking like Jesus would think. Speaking like Jesus would speak. Behaving like Jesus would behave. Running your business like Jesus would run a business in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God. And so I want you to know, the Holy Spirit will always be moving us in this direction. And so when you are speaking with your spouse, guess what the Holy Spirit will want to do in your life? He wants you to do what? Speak to her or speak to him like Jesus would. So maybe you're in a fight. Maybe you're in an argument. Maybe there's a rub. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead you and say, hey, Close your lips, bite your tongue, wait a minute, and let me speak through you and speak in ways that would look just like what Jesus would do, right? Uh, in that business meeting, instead of lying to close the deal, wait a minute, wait a minute, do this Jesus' way, right? Uh, and so this is how the Holy Spirit will work. He is single-minded. He wants to lead us to... Uh, to Jesus. Uh, he wants our heart, our mind, our actions to be doing what Jesus would do. And can I share something with you? This isn't just what the Holy Spirit did in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's desire was exactly the same. God never changes. He's always the same. Here's a passage from Ezekiel for you uh, that will show you exact same thing. Take a look, look at this. Ezekiel 36. Uh, let me hear you read this. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Ezekiel saying the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and what will he do? Well, he'll cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments. Uh, let's use some synonyms for statutes and judgments. What are synonyms for those? Commandments and instructions. The teachings of God. He's going to teach you how to walk in the will of God. The Holy Spirit will always do the same thing. Old Testament, New Testament, he's always pointing us to the Messiah, to Jesus. That's what he wants to do. And the New Testament tells us these things. That's his solitary goal. And there's some fascinating passages in Scripture. As Paul would write to the church, to the Corinthians, he says, listen, I want you to know something. You have the mind of Christ. Wow. How do you have the mind of Christ? How does Paul know that about you? Well, here's how he knows it, because the Holy Spirit is leading, guiding, and directing you to do things like Jesus would want to do. Now, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will always take the things of Jesus and reveal them to us. And so one of the ways it says that in the New Testament is we have the mind of Christ. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul would say this, let this mind be in you, that was also in Christ Jesus. Wow. 
Have that same mind. What mind was that contextually in Philippians 2? Well, it was this. Who even though he was in the form of God, even though he was God in the flesh, he humbled himself and he became a servant of all. Now let this mind be in you. You see, the Holy Spirit will always lead us to act and behave like Jesus. How about Romans chapter 8? It says, those who are led by the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Wow. So if you're led by the Spirit, your mind will be thinking on things of the Spirit, which are things about what Jesus would do. Those who are led by the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. But those who are led by the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. What does it mean to be Spirit-led? It means you think and act and speak and move like Jesus. That's what it means. Not speaking in tongues, not having an emotional experience. Not Now, all of these things may follow. They may be part of being spirit-led means the spirit will always lead us to lead like Jesus. So may, may, we, may we be wise. And just as the servant in the story was set steadfast on bringing the bride to the groom, so the Holy Spirit is steadfast on bringing us to Jesus. Now, I say all this to give you a warning because I want you to beware of Holy Spirit counterfeits. Holy Spirit counterfeits. And I want you to know something. They are everywhere. Everywhere. Holy Spirit counterfeits. Where is one place where Holy Spirit counterfeits may be really prevalent? At church. Uh Here's another place where Holy Spirit counterfeits may be really prevalent. At a bar. Do you know what a bar is, by the way? A bar is a counterfeit church. Did you know that? A bar is a counterfeit church. The Bible says in Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait, wait. Why does it talk about wine and the spirit at the same time because the holy spirit wants to do something wants to lead us to jesus but there are counterfeits out there and alcohol is a counterfeit holy spirit we even call alcohol what do we call it spirits (laughs) because it's a counterfeit spirit do you know what a bar is a bar is a counterfeit church you go there and you hang out with people who you think care about you and you think they're your friends and you think you have fellowship with and you come in with problems and you start drinking a few shots and now your problems go away. And you come in with no boldness and now you take a few shots and you got boldness to speak things you normally wouldn't speak. And you've got all kinds of problems and now those problems are just going away and you've got a peace that passes understanding. And you're speaking things that you normally wouldn't speak and you're saying and doing all that is a, is a, is a demonic counterfeit church. And the Holy Spirit will do all these things to edification. Alcohol will do all these things to destruction. And you'll speak and do things, and you'll wake up the next morning, you'll go, oh man, what did I say that for? What did I do that for? And you'll wake up with someone, and you'll go, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Oh, you were spirit-led, man. You were (laughs) spirit-led. Problem? It was a dark spirit. It was a dark spirit. But here's another place you can find counterfeit spirits. At church. At church. How does that happen? Well, here's how it happened. For the first two centuries, Satan persecuted the church. There were more martyrs in the first two centuries, millions of martyrs. And guess what happened to the church? It thrived. It grew so strong. And Satan goes, this ain't working. So at about the third century, at the time of Constantine, Satan quit persecuting the church, and guess what he did? He joined the church. He joined the church. And I gotta discipline myself right now because I really want to go off and preach on this for about an hour. And... and (laughs) And I encourage you, man, read the book of Revelation. It speaks this out well, man. It speaks this out well. Satan joined the church. 
And it became something ugly. And now there's a false Holy Spirit in the church. There's a counterfeit Holy Spirit in the church that says, you got to name it and claim it in Jesus and Barbara and just... And it's all about the Holy Spirit. And what do they speak to? You got a Holy Spirit's power, and you need the Holy Spirit's power. You never have a... And who's it drawing all the attention to? The Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus say the Holy Spirit would never do? Draw attention to Himself. And the pastor's telling you, you need the Spirit, and you need the Spirit. You don't even know what a Spirit is. Nor does He tell you how to do that. He just tells you, you need the Spirit. It's all about the Spirit. And that's a counterfeit, false teaching. Jesus says, my ways are not complex. Come to me. Take on my ways and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. The Holy Spirit won't tell you to find the Spirit, which you can't find. The Holy Spirit will say, come to Jesus. And his ways are known to all. And you can walk in his path. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you'll find rest for your soul. And he'll give you life, life abundant. And I'll give you a peace that passes understanding. And I'll give you boldness to speak things you normally wouldn't speak. And it will all be to edification and glorification of the Father and edification of your life. And, and it's quite different from the bar. And it's quite different from the false church. And, and this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. How can you tell if it's a counterfeit spirit or a real Holy Spirit? How can you tell? Very simple. Look at who it glorifies and look at who it serves. If it's all glorifying the Holy Spirit or glorifying the speaker, it's a false Holy Spirit. And if it's all serving self, it's a false Holy Spirit. Look at this, Eliezer, here in the story, a picture of the Holy Spirit. Who's he telling the bride all about himself? Doesn't speak ever about himself. He points her entirely to Jesus, to the master's son, the heir of all things. Oh, he's wealthy. He's great. And he gives her spiritual gifts uh, that point her to the wealth and the greatness and the majesty of the Son. That's what the real, true, holy spirit does. Everything else is an evil spirit, a, a deceiver, a counterfeit. Be careful, be wise. Jesus clearly taught us the Holy Spirit will never draw attention to himself. He will always glorify Jesus. He will always point us to Jesus. He will lead us to act, move, speak, and serve, and love like Jesus and that's how we can know that we're spirit-led. That's what a spirit-led life means. It's not confusing at all. It's very orderly. Uh, let's come back to our story, though. Verse 52, uh, this amazing love story, right? Um, so uh, verse 51, Rebecca, uh, they say, yeah, she can be your wife. Look at verse 52. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant, they said, yes, Rebecca can be his wife, that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself down to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebecca. Uh, whose jewelry was this? Was it his jewelry? Whose was it? It was Isaac's jewelry. It was Isaac's wealth. All the wealth of the son he gives to her. He gives her the gifts that the son has and he gives them to her. The Holy Spirit does the same thing for you. He takes all the attributes of Jesus and he gives them to you. Wow. The moment, when does he do this? The moment you say, I'll be the bride. All the gifts are given to you. And notice this. Uh, the servant brings out this jewelry, silver of gold, jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold, clothing. That clothing is the righteous righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you freely and he gives them to Rebecca and he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother <clears throat> verse 54 and the and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night and they arose in the morning and he said send me away to my master this is very interesting part in the story right here look at this verse 55 but her brother and her mother and the rest of her family, they all said, let the young woman stay with us a few days. I want you to underline that. Let the young woman stay with us a few days. At least 10, maybe 30. I mean, you know, at least 10. And after that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me. Interesting. Since the Lord has prospered me in my way, Send me away so that I might go to my master. 
Let me bring her to my master. Don't hinder me. So they said, well, I don't know, man. We will call the young woman and ask her personally. So they called Rebecca and they said to, said to her, hey, he wants to leave right this minute. We were hoping we had a month or so, right? Like he wants at least 10 days. Uh, he wants to go right this minute. Will you go with this man? And uh, let me hear you all read this together. And she said, I will go. I will go. Free choice on this. I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. So they gave her a handmaid to go with her. Verse 60, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. Well, that's a lot of pressure on a little girl, man. Uh, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Hey, that's just a, a poetic way of saying, may you have a big family and may you have divine protection on your life. Verse 61, then Rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed on this long, long, long 520 mile journey to meet the groom. Wow. Now, I want you to know, the typology in this story is prophetic, and it is amazing. Oh, I hope you see it. Here is God the Father, pictured as Abraham, and his father who arranges a marriage for his son with a bride from afar. Oh, that is a, a picture of us, right? Uh, and he, he sends his servant, the Holy Spirit, he sends his servant, this unnamed servant, Eleazar, to go get this bride. And he goes on a long journey, 520 miles to get a bride, to win a bride for his son. And the, uh, the son, of course, is Isaac, a picture of Jesus. Isaac is amazing. He, he has a supernatural birth. He was offered up on Mount Moriah as a sacrifice to God. And he came down victoriously alive from that sacrifice, all of it a picture of Jesus. And after that sacrifice on Mount Moriah, the same exact mountain where Jesus was crucified, he goes and gets a Gentile bride from afar. Oh my gosh, and brings that bride from afar. And now the church is played by Rebecca. And Rebecca, uh, this virgin bride, she must choose. Do I leave my old life behind to embrace this brand new call, this wooing of the one who loves me to come into a relationship with him even though I've never seen him face to face? Do I leave my homeland and all that I have and step out in faith and the Holy Spirit is saying you have to decide a decision must be made right now. Today is the time. And they ask her, and she makes the decision, I will go. And she goes to meet this bride that she's never seen. And the Holy Spirit there gives her gifts, all kinds of gifts, beautiful clothing, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our salvation given to us freely. All kinds of gifts of gold and silver. She had already gotten seven, $8,000 just in the wooing, and now she says, I'll be the bride. And he just dumps on her. All the gifts of the Son, all the possessions of the Son, that's what you and I have, the gifts of the Spirit. And she says, I will go. Now, a very interesting plot twist in the story. The Holy Spirit says, you must come now. And she says, what? Let me wait a few days. Let me, let me have some time. Oh my gosh. Stay a few days, at least 10. After that, she can go uh, putting off coming to Jesus until manana. I'll come to Jesus, but I'll do it manana. And you know what that is? That is a picture of our sinful flesh. Always wanting to put off coming to Jesus until manana. And I want you to know, church, 
pay attention, be careful. We must not let anything hinder us from coming to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has one goal, come to Jesus. And we want to tell him, what do we want to tell him? Minyana. And he says, no way, now or never. And it's interesting, that is the call of God for salvation, right? And we, we, what do we, want? we want to put them off. We want to put them off. Be careful. Be careful. And it's not only the call of salvation, it's also the call in our walk every single day. You see, you're arguing with your spouse, and the Holy Spirit comes along and says, hey, let me lead you to Jesus. Don't talk right now. Just wait a few minutes. Let me give you some thoughts. Let me calm down. And we say, Minyana. And we say what we want to say. Guess who you were just led by? Your flesh. You weren't spirit led. The spirit wanted you to lead, lead you to Jesus. And in that business deal, you can close it right now if you just lie and tell a big fat lie about how to, to your client. And the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. Don't do it. Love Jesus more than money. Love God more than money. Don't make money the God of your life. And we lie and we close the deal. Guess who we just, we just hindered? Don't let anything hinder us from coming to Jesus. Take a listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always point us to Jesus. Um, now, I want you to know, the Holy Spirit says no more delays. You have to decide. You've heard the offer. You've understood his love. You've understood the greatness of the son. I've told you, he's the son of promise. He's the heir of all things. His desire is to make you uh, his bride. He's given you the gifts. You've seen his wealth. You've seen his wisdom. You've seen his knowledge. Now you must decide. Today is the day. No more mignanas. <clears throat> and they asked Rebecca, Rebecca, what do you want to do? Will you go? And what did she say? I'll go. I'll go. And here I love this. I love this. The Holy Spirit will not force you. A choice must be made to follow Jesus. Both for salvation and for being spirit-led. He will not force you. We have this idea that being spirit-led means, I couldn't even control it. It just happened. Not true. The Bible clearly says the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. That means the Holy Spirit will never force you. He will lead you. He will woo you. He will call you. And he will say, act like Jesus. But the choice is yours. And there comes a time when he says, hey, that's it. You must make a decision. I want you to know every atheist, the Holy Spirit's calling them to Jesus. And they believe in God. They just use the term atheism as an excuse because they don't want to obey God as God. They want to sin. They want to do life their way. But deep in their heart, they're thinking, well, when I get older, then maybe I'll do it. And I want you to know that is a big mistake. The Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. Now, you have to decide now if you want to come to Jesus. Maybe the Holy Spirit has called you to Jesus before and you've delayed coming to him. Hey, don't be a fool. He may not ask you again. Do not be a fool. I have a verse for you uh, uh, that's reveals how this works. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, on your screens. Let me, let me hear you read this. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Let me unpack that. We then, as workers, uh, we then, as the church, with him, that's the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, with God, plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? He's called you. He's saying, come to him. That's the grace of God. You don't deserve that. That's the grace of God saying, hey, come to Jesus. He says, don't receive that in vain. We're pleading with you. We're pleading with the Holy Spirit. We're, we're, we're agreeing with the Holy Spirit, working together with him, pleading you. Uh, look what the rest of the verse says. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. What's the point? Do not put him off. I have come to get a bride. You have to make a decision. Will you come or will you not come? 
And she says, I will come. And she makes the decision. And today, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is calling you to Jesus again. Come to me or send me away. I want to bring you to the master. Will you come? Will you come? The last thing I want to leave, leave you with is uh, this journey that begins. It's phenomenal. Think about what happens. Rebecca says, I will go. And then what happens? He takes her on the camels and they go to meet the promised son. her future husband, who she's now espoused to. And she's never seen him. And she gets on this camel, and it's a 520-mile journey. That's a long journey. Do you know what that's a picture of, church? That's a picture of our life. A 520-mile journey on a bumpy, rough camel to go be face-to-face with the bridegroom. To stand in his presence and to behold him. And on that long journey, Rebecca is saying, tell me about him. Who is he? And Eliezer, the Holy Spirit, would tell her about how great he is. Oh, my master's son is powerful. He's the leader of a nation. He's the heir of all things. He's incredibly wealthy. He's incredibly powerful. He's incredibly wise. Well, tell me, what's he like? Oh, well, he's humble. He's meek. He's so good to other people. When you're around him, you just stand taller. You just feel better. He brings out the best in everyone he meets. He's a savior. He's incredible. Oh, I can't wait for you to meet him. Well, tell me, what is he like? And he would tell her more and more on this long, difficult journey, on this camel, this road of life. And then she would ask him, well, not only what is he like, but she would ask him, well, what does he like? What does he find attractive? Oh, he loves humility. He loves selflessness. He loves gentleness. He loves not keeping a wrong, a record of wrongs. He loves forgiveness. He loves serving more than taking. He loves, and he begins to tell her what he likes. And the whole time she's falling in love with a bridegroom that she's never seen on this long journey. And there she is on the camel. And now her back is starting to hurt on day whatever, 30 And it's been a long time. And now she's getting discouraged. She's getting weary. And she's not talking. And the servant can see her discouragement and her weariness. And he knows. And she's beginning to wonder, is all this even real? Is all this even true? Is there even a bridegroom waiting for me? Did I make the biggest decision of my life? Maybe I should just be living for myself. What am I doing? And the servant would come along and say, hey, can I tell you a story about my master? And next thing you know, she's got wind back in her sails. She's got her eyes fixed and focused, and she's in awe again, and her eyes are on the master. This is our journey of life, and this is what the servant does on this journey. And can I read a verse to you? Uh, uh, this is, you don't have to turn there. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, this is telling us about this 520-mile journey of our life to go back to meet Jesus, right? Till we stand before him face to face. It says, we are kept by the power of God. We're not kept by our power. We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in this, we greatly rejoice. But at times, for a little while, if need be, we're grieved by various trials on this long 520-mile journey, that the genuineness of our faith, being much more precious to God than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. 
Wow. And even though you do not yet see him, you believe. And you rejoice with joy. Joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. And you will receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And the marriage supper of the Lamb. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.